Chapter Fifteen of Odd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel. Odd by Amy Lefebvre. Chapter Fifteen. Comforted. Betty did not wake before the children's bedtime, and nurse did not disturb her. She trusted that a long night's rest would do her good. But early the next morning the awakening came, and with it an undefined sense of misery. The little hand was at once put out for Prince's basket. "'Prince, wake up, darling!' "'There was no basket. What had happened? Was it all an ugly dream? But where was Prince?' And then Molly woke by feeling a tugging at her bedclothes, and there was Betty, with round, frightened eyes, standing over her. "'Molly, Molly, wake up! Tell me it's only a dream. Where is Prince?' Molly sat up, rubbed her eyes, and tried to recover her lost senses. Then she looked sorrowfully at her little sister. "'Don't you remember, Betty? You get into bed with me, and I'll tell you again. Nurse told us about it, and me and Douglas are dreadfully sorry, too.' Betty crept into Molly's bed with much heart-sinking. The bad dream was truth, then, and Prince was dead. "'Douglas and I went to see him in the stable,' Molly continued in a whisper. Farmer Giles said he saved your life, so he was quite a hero, Betty. Don't you think he ought to have a tombstone telling about it? Douglas wondered if you would go into mourning for him, but I don't think people wear black for dogs, do they? He saved my life, murmured Betty. Oh, why did he? I wish I'd died instead. If Prince is dead, I can't live. And then, with a fresh burst of tears, she sobbed, and I shall be the odd one again. I shall always be left out, and I shan't be in a couple any more. And oh, I must see Prince again. Dear darling Prince, he was the only friend I ever had. Then, drying her tears, she sat up. I'm going to the stable to look at him once again, Molly. I must give him a real good-bye kiss. I couldn't yesterday. But he's buried, Molly put in quickly. After tea last night we had his funeral. Farmer Giles dug a grave for him under our nice old apple tree in the orchard, and he said it was best to get him out of your sight. This was a terrible blow to Betty. I think I might have been at his funeral. He was my dog, and you and Douglas didn't care for him a bit. Farmer Giles is a horrid man. But, oh dear, oh dear, I don't care for anything now he's dead. And the curly head sank back on the pillow, and like Ahab of old, Betty turned her face to the wall and refused to be comforted. For the next few days Betty gave Nurse much anxiety. She crept about with a white face and flagging footsteps, refused to play with the other children, and spent most of her time sitting by Prince's grave. She had no appetite, and had restless, wakeful nights. "'Fretting herself ill over it,' was Mrs. Giles's comment. "'She'll be better when she gets back to London.' Nesta Fairfax came down to see her little favourite, and Betty shed many tears on her knee. "'It's no good. I shall never, never be happy again. "'No one cares for me like Prince, and now he's dead. I have no friend left.' "'You have a good many friends, Betty. "'Listen, darling, when I'm married I'm going to live in London, "'and you shall come and stay with me sometimes, if your mother will allow it. "'When are you going to be married?' "'Soon, but we shall have a very quiet wedding, or I would have you as little bridesmaid.' "'Betty shook her curly head mournfully.' "'It's no good. My heart is broken, and I don't want to stay with anybody or do anything.' She had the same answer to anyone who tried to comfort her, and then one afternoon Mr. Russell appeared on the scene. When he had heard from Nurse how matters lay, he proposed that Betty should come and stay with him for a week. 
It is change of scene and atmosphere that she wants. Let me take her back with me at once. My housekeeper will take good care of her. And this was managed, and Betty walked away with him quietly and contentedly. She was certainly happier roaming through his big house than she had been at the farm, but there seemed to be some extra weight on her mind that she would not reveal, and it was not until the first Sunday until after her arrival there that he discovered the cause. They had been to church together, had waited until the congregation had dispersed, and stood by Violet's monument. Betty had placed some fresh roses on it, and as they were leaving the church she said, looking back wistfully, "'I wish Prince had been buried in church. No one cares about his grave. I put flowers on it, but the chickens run through the orchard and scratch them off, and one day the horrid black pig was grunting with his nose and making a great hole in it. I wish I could have a tombstone for him. No one cares a bit, and they almost laugh if I say anything about it.' "'Is that what is troubling you?' asked Mr. Russell kindly. "'That's one of the things, but not the big thing.' "'And what is the big thing?' Betty was silent, then she said, "'I'll tell it to you, perhaps this afternoon.' They went back to luncheon, and then Mr. Russell took his seat in the shady veranda that ran round the house. It was a still warm afternoon. Betty got a stool, and sitting down on it rested her head against the knee of her friend. Outside the bees were humming round the roses, and amongst bright flower-beds on the lawn. The birds were twittering in the old beeches close by, but over the whole scene hung a Sabbath peace and repose. The child looked away to the soft distant hills and the deep blue sky. "'Shall I tell you what I promised?' she asked at last, bringing her sad little eyes to Mr. Russell's face. Mr. Russell nodded, and, clutching rather nervously at his hand, Betty said a little hurriedly, "'Prince has always been so good, and I've talked so much to him, of heaven, and he seemed to like it, and I, well, I tried to teach him his prayers, and I prayed to God for him every night, that I thought he would be sure to go to heaven, don't you think so? But I was reading Revelation, and I was thinking how perhaps I might be able to sing in heaven, perhaps God would give him a proper voice, for Mrs. Giles told me she had a little deaf and dumb brother once who died, and she said he would be given a voice when he got there, and then I read in the last chapter, oh, I can't tell you. Down dropped the little head, and a burst of tears came. Mr. Russell did not speak. He got up and went inside the house to get a Bible. Coming back, he spread it open on his knee and scanned the chapter through. Well, he said at length, I don't see your trouble, Betty. It says, sobbed the child, the dogs will be outside heaven with all the wicked persons and all the liars. Prince was never wicked and never, never told a lie. I can't make it out. It's so dreadful. Mr. Russell almost smiled, but his tone was as grave as usual when he put his arm round Betty, saying, But, my dear child, that is not the meaning of the verse. How can I explain it to you? Let me try. The term dog was used by the Jews to express anything unclean, despicable. The Palestine dogs were wild, savage animals, despised and scouted by everyone, so people who led wicked lives without any right feeling or principle are compared to dogs. Then it doesn't mean, Prince? He may be in heaven after all? Oh, I wished I had asked someone about it, but I was afraid. Miss Fairfax said once he had no soul, but then I've asked God to give him one, and God can do anything, can't he? Do you think he's in heaven? Oh, Mr. Russell, he must be somewhere." The piteous tone went right to Mr. Russell's heart. He leant forward and lifted Betty on his knee. "'Betty, do you love God?' "'Yes.' "'Very much?' 
I think I do, and I feel he loves me. I think you do, too, for you have often talked to me about him, and you have taught me to love him, too, Betty. Now you must trust God about Prince. I can't give you a text in the Bible to tell you Prince is in heaven, but God knows all about your little sorrowful heart. You tell him all about it, and be at rest. There are times when we go through life that we must do this. Yes, grown-up men and women, Betty, when they cannot see and struggle to understand and penetrate the unseen, are brought down under God's hand. And he says to us, I have done this, now is the time to trust me. Be still and know that I am God. I have had to learn this lesson, and at times my heart has been hard and bitter. But there, why am I talking like this to you? You will not understand. I like it, said Betty, lying back in his arms, and looking out into the sunny garden. And I may think what I like about Prince now, mayn't I? I am quite, quite sure God loves him. God loves everybody, even the wickedest sinners, and Prince wasn't a wicked dog at all. There was silence, which Betty broke at last. I like being here with you, because you talk to me so differently, and I feel so dreadfully alone at the farm. Nurse said you were a single gentleman, and your servants couldn't have much to do. I must be a single child, I feel. And they all say such stupid things to comfort me. Nurse said he would have had to die sometime. Perhaps if I had taken him back to London he would have got run over. And Douglas said I must pretend I never had a dog called Prince. And Molly told me that Douglas will soon be going to school, and then she and I will be a couple. And Mrs. Giles said if Prince hadn't died he would have gone raving mad and bitten all of us and made us raving mad too and we would all have been shot. And we must be thankful. And Reuben, the old grave man, asked me if I didn't thank God that the mad dog didn't bite me, and old Jenny said perhaps I was making an idol of Prince, and so he was taken away. How could I make an idol of him? I wouldn't say my prayers to him instead of God. You wouldn't be comforted to have those things said to you, would you? No, I don't think I should, said Mr. Russell, smiling. Mrs. Fairfax wanted to give me another dog, a little puppy, but I couldn't, I couldn't have another dog when Prince is dead. You couldn't have another violet, could you? I think you and I understand, because we've now both had someone dead belonging to us. Betty's week lengthened into three. Mr. Russell seemed loth to part with her, and her subdued spirits and pathetic grief touched him greatly. But the visit came to an end at last, and about four o'clock one bright afternoon the dog-cart was driven round to take her home. "'You shall come and see me again, Betty,' said Mr. Russell brightly and I shall come and see you when I am in London. I used to be at Eden with your father, and shall like to renew his acquaintance. And next spring you ask your mother to take you to the Royal Academy, where all the pictures are. I think you will see a white statue of a little girl asleep on a log of wood, and a—' uh, He stopped. "'And Prince,' put in Betty sadly, "'I shan't bear to look at him, and yet I should like to.' I don't mind going back to London. I thought I could never be so happy anywhere as in the country, but I've been miserable than I ever was in London. I shall be miserable now for ever and ever. Betty, said Mr. Russell suddenly, as they were driving through the sweet-scented lanes toward the farmhouse, do you remember the text you said to me when I first saw you in church, and you were putting forget-me-nots on my darling's tomb? I expect it was my tribulation text, said Betty musingly. "'Yes, it was. You told me you were unhappy because you had not been through tribulation, and a short time ago you told me that you were asking God to send you tribulation, and that you were hoping to get it soon. And you told me the same as everybody else, that I didn't know what I was wishing for. 
but I did, and I expect God will answer it, for old Jenny said I should come through it, and perhaps I wouldn't have to wait until I grew up. I think, said Mr. Russell slowly, as he looked down at the wistful little face, that God has been answering your prayer already. Betty looked up breathlessly. How? I think he has sent you a little bit of tribulation to see if you can bear it, and if you will be a good, patient child over it, and not keep saying you will never be happy again. Such a flash of light came across Betty's face and into her big blue eyes. Do you really think God has taken away Prince to give me tribulation? Oh, Mr. Russell, is it true? Could it be? Is this coming through tribulation? Her whole face was quivering with intense feeling. I think it is as big a trouble as a little child like you can be called upon to bear, said Mr. Russell, drawing her close to him, and I think God has sent it to you for some good purpose. A long-drawn sigh came from the child, and not another word did she say, but when Nurse and the other children came out to welcome her back, they were all surprised to see the radiant, happy look upon her face, and Nurse inwardly congratulated herself upon the good her visit had done her. Mr. Russell received a fervent kiss and hug on departing, and Betty came back to her own circle again. But a glad surprise awaited her. Douglas and Molly were full of a suppressed mystery all tea-time, and when it was over, they impatiently begged her to come to the orchard. She accompanied them willingly, but gave a cry of delight and astonishment when she reached the old apple-tree. There was a neat little iron railing surrounding poor Prince's grave. Above it was a stone pedestal and upon this was lying the stone figure of Prince himself, the facsimile of the portrait of him lying at Betty's feet when she was fast asleep in the cornfield. Below in gold letters was written, To the memory of Prince, who gave his life for his mistress, 11th August, 18... <clears throat> Mr. Russell had it put up, said Molly. He has come over several times about it, and he said he wanted it to be kept quite a secret till you came back. Isn't it lovely? But Betty had no voice to answer. Tears were flowing freely, and when Douglas and Molly tried to comfort her, she assured them it was only because she was so happy. They left her there shortly after, and she stood silent for some time, then her little face shone again with the soft radiance, and kneeling down on the green grass, with closed eyes, she bent her curly head, and these were the words she uttered. "'Oh, God, I thank you for answering my prayer and sending me tribulation. I thank you that I'm in the text at last.' The End End of chapter 15 End of Odd by Amy Lefebvre